welcome to Resilience Unraveled. I'm your host, Dr. Russell Thackeray. This podcast is the result of my fascination with health issues, resilience, performance, mental health, accountability, and critical thinking, along with many of the other obsessions I bump into in my life. I spend my time working with highly successful teams, organizations, and people, and this podcast introduces their remarkable stories, as well as my synthesis of the key issues, tips, and strategies to thrive in life. If you find this podcast useful, you can also find other information at qedod.com or russellthackeray.com. Stay tuned to the end for details of how to order a free ebook. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, so today I've got a very interesting interview. Um, something I've been looking forward to talking about for many, well, for many years in actual fact. And it's been rare for me to have the opportunity to meet someone who is both um, very pragmatic about this subject, but also um, has worked in the corporate field. And today we're going to talk to Donna Landy. And it's fair to say that uh, Donna is transgender. Now, for some people, they're not quite clear what this means. Some people get lost in the politics of this. Some people get lost in the, the sort of media storm about what this subject is. But I met Donna in a professional capacity in a, in a, in a, in a work setting um, where she was presenting as female. And um, I've been remarkably impressed by her story, her courage. And I thought it would be great to, st- um, to share that, both to talk about the resilience required to go through, undertake this sort of um, personal journey, and, um, but also for other people to understand their part in this journey and how they can make it um, more simple, both in terms of work, but also in their own lines, lives if they're coming across people who um, are part of their own orbit. So morning, first of all, Donna. Good morning, Russell. So tell me what part of the world you're in, Donna, where are you? I'm in the southwest of England um, in a little fishing village, which is rather nice, um, where I live most of my time and I work up in uh, central England. So I do a bit of a long commute and that's where we met, as you mentioned earlier. We met in the, in the wilds of the Cotswolds, I think. It was somewhere, somewhere, I'd like to say it was somewhere gorgeous, but, but it wasn't, was it? It was just somewhere <laughs> <laughs> more glamorous than it was. <laughs> The worlds of Cheltenham. Well, anyway, thank you so much, first of all, to um, join me on this podcast. I think a lot of um, people, I mean, a lot of people heard about this subject and um, might, might benefit from actually hearing from someone who's going through this process. So, I mean, can you start by telling people what transgender means? What, what, what is it actually all about? Yeah, sure. Well, I think it's, it is, as you say, the kind of top of the top of the mind question that comes up when people um, think about this, and they, they kind of wonder, what is it? What does it mean? And um, the most the most common um, misconception that I've come across, and I think this is is fairly common, uh, is that people think it's the same thing as being a transvestite or crossdresser, um, and that it's some sort of fetish. Only that you've decided to do it full time, um, which is uh, very much far from the truth. For me, being trans is simply knowing inside that I am a woman, even though I was born in a man's body and I've lived most of my life as a man. Um, and I'm one of those people they call, uh, what they call late onset. So um, there's a lot of uh, stuff on the media about young people who realize very early on or have known from a very long time, from a very early age, that they are um, a different gender to the one they were born with. Mm. Um, 
so uh, that's not the same in my case. Uh, my experience is that um, although there were clues earlier on, I very much suppressed it, even even to myself, to the extent that I wasn't consciously aware of it at all. Um, but it all just popped out very much um, in later life when suddenly the penny dropped and I suddenly went, oh, that's what it is. And um, there wasn't really any turning back from that point. It was such a, a, a liberation, a moment of freedom and release that it was, yeah, it, it was obviously true. Uh, and and um, quite soon afterwards, I took steps to to come out, I started to come out to my nearest and dearest, my family and close friends. And a few months after that, I started, I came out at work and I started living full time as Donna, at least at work, um, and, and gradually took steps to transition in that way. So yeah, being transgender really is about knowing yourself in a certain way as a gender different to the one you were assigned at birth. It's not about, um, you can be transgender and live completely as the gender you, you lived your whole life. That's mm. really what it is. And I think people, um, well, it's interesting. First of all, you've said that some people regard it as a fetish thing or as a lifestyle choice, but this is no easy, this is no easy choice to make and to execute, is it? It certainly isn't. Um, it's, it's excruciatingly embarrassing when you go out the first time dressed as the, the other gender. Um, it's really difficult to get yourself to a state where you even look halfway like the other gender at a glance. Um, and it, people do look, even, even well-meaning people sort of look, just despite themselves really. Um, and but the worst like but the worst is with close family i have uh, young children and a now ex-wife and it's been incredibly hard on them the impact on sort of having me disappear if you like the the father and the husband that they knew has gone uh, mm. dead without a funeral so it's a kind of grief with no name which is really really sad and strange and hard for them to come to terms with Mm. On the plus side, of course, they have still got me, um, a kind of strange um, ex-wife, if you like, or an, an auntie or a, not a new mum, really, but um, someone who's always there for them still and loves them totally and unconditionally. So it's not all minuses, but there's certainly a lot to get, come to terms with. Yeah. And I know the stats would say that trans pe people experience the most hate crime that have such a high incidence of suicide and anxiety and such like and is that because of the process itself or society's um method of dealing with or trying to accept what this thing is all about i'm not really sure why um that would be but from my own side it, it's i'd say it, it is difficult coming out um just because you have to get through a lot of layers of social acceptance, if you like. Mm. I mean, some people are brilliant and say, oh, congratulations, and um, accept you completely. And other people are a bit like, oh. And others, you, get, you do get some hostile looks in the street. I've not really had, um, I've only had one kind of hostile interaction with somebody where they were just really funny with me. And I had a couple of kids yell at me in the street, um, but I confronted them and they the look of guilt and shame on their face was quite enough. I didn't need to do anything more, bless yeah. them. And I just think that's something that came out of their, you know, young boys 
they do they are stuff and that's how they are so i don't really take it as anything particularly um anti-trans if you like yes um so i think on, in general people have been pretty good but the dealing with if you've got family dealing with the fact that like for me what's been really hard is dealing with the fact that in a way i'm the one who killed my kid's dad Yes. You know, and, and it's not like, it's not as if I had a choice, really. And people think you have a choice about when you transition, if you transition, if you have it, about the speed of transition. But in a way, you don't really. It kind of does its own thing. And knowing that I was going to do that was was one of the most dreadful things in my life, really. Because yeah. um, it broke my it broke my children's hearts. Yes. And that's just the worst, most awful thing you can think of. Um, the other thing that's really difficult is waiting for treatment. Right. Um, you know, you can dress in clothes that suit your style and your gender, and that's great. But quite soon, you get to the point where you want, like, look, I want to actually take concrete steps to change my body and to be like, be the opposite gender, and that involves hormone therapy and you know all sorts of things. And at the moment, when I joined, when I joined the NHS waiting list I, I was referred pretty quickly by my doctor who is mm. really supportive which i i understand is not universal in the uk some are quite obstructive mm. um so mine was really good and i got referred straight away to the clinic and i was told the waiting list was about a year well as far as i'm aware that that was a year and a half ago and i'm still about a year from receiving any treatment on the nhs uh, except that now they won't give me any kind of concrete deadline when i would be seen so I'm in an indefinite queue waiting for treatment. And in that time, there's no support whatsoever they can give you. There's no counseling. There's no therapy. There's no groups. There's absolutely nothing available to support me or my family. Everything we found, we've had to find out ourselves on the internet, through local groups, volunteer organizations, and so on. And I'm lucky enough that I'm in the position that I could go to get private treatment in London and get a private diagnosis and then get uh, medications um, through a, a UK GP who, who does that, this kind of service. Mm. If it wasn't for that, I'd still be stuck in a queue. And I think the people who are stuck in a queue of an indefinite period, you know, with, an indef with no guaranteed, not even a guaranteed time to be seen, it's a very, it can be a very depressing situation. Mm. The second thing I think is, for, I mean, I'm now of an age where I'm kind of, I have resources and, and so forth to fight my own battles, but um, young people particularly would have to, to be even to go and get seen on the NHS, they have to have the support of their parents. Yeah. And even if, even then they won't get hormone therapy until they're 16 or 17, as far as I understand. So I can quite imagine that the rate of depression in young trans people is massive mm. because they have to go through puberty as the sex they don't, or gender they don't want to be. Mm. And, um, Plus, they have to deal with uh, bullying, which seems to be endemic around uh, where where I live. In any case, um, in schools about this sort of subject, where people will tease about almost any sort of difference, however hard schools try and take it in hand. I don't see that there's really much gets done about that. Well, should we go? Should we go back to the beginning? Because you you mentioned yes. actually there were some some clues and. Um, I'm interested to sort of discuss that in a bit because often one one sort of trajectory for people is either to um, recognise the trans at the beginning and live their entire lives that way. Some people 
seem to take an alternative route, which is almost to either run away from high from it, not recognise it, and they end up living quite macho lives often. And and the reverse, reverse is also true for people who transition from uh, female to male as well as male to female. And um, you, you mentioned the clear cues, and I know there's a lot in the debate at the moment about this, whether, whether, whether children understand the concept of gender and whether pre, pre-puberty they actually it's actually a good time to stop puberty happening so i'm just you know interested in when you had your first clues given that this actually became the case you know that given given that's that, that this came to um define your life in a sense yes i do understand there's there's some sort of statistics bandied around about how many young people don't eventually go through with it um but i've also read counter arguments that say that a lot of those the statistics aren't being used in the right way and um People, for example, who couldn't be followed up are counted as not having followed through with their um, gender transition when actually it's not known about. So I think there is definitely room for debate um, both ways on that one. Mm. Um, but I do think if, some, if a young person is absolutely sure over a long period of time that they are the opposite gender to how their body expresses, then I think we should listen to them. I do. I just think, I think it's cruel to do otherwise. And... I mean, I'm, I, don't, I, I, I don't think anyone knows for certain. You can't really. But for me, that does seem incredibly cruel and insensitive. So what were the, um, what were the, what were the clues that you um, mentioned earlier that, that you had? The, um, the clues that I had were um, a strong sense of wishing. I remember wishing really strongly when I was 10. Like, I wish I was a girl. Mm. I really do. Um, I wanted to play all their games in the playground. I wanted to join in the skipping at primary school. Then they were like, well, you can't. Why not? You're a boy. <laughs> and um, I, I don't remember, remember being particularly, I don't, my, my impression of myself is that I'm not particularly macho, but my dad thinks, one of the things my dad said when I came out was well, he was surprised because I'd led such a, you know, sort of macho life. It's like, mm. what? Um, what were some of the other early clues? Um, I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish background, which incidentally I think might have been one of the reasons why I suppressed it so strongly mm. because it's really not, uh, well, it's just not something that would even come up. I don't think you wouldn't discuss it. Um, but on the Jewish festival of Purim, it's uh, dressing up as encouraged, and one of the characters you can dress up as, or you can dress up as anything, but one of the frequent characters to dress up as is this Persian king called Achashverosh. And um, I dressed up in one of my mum's dresses, a nice purple dress. And I, for me, it was just, it was like, oh, wow, I finally get to wear a woman's dress and I look great in it. So, um, yeah, I remember asking one of my one, a, a girlfriend that um, I quite liked and saying, don't look great in this and being very disappointed that she didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so there were clues like that. Um, what else can I say? Was, was, um, it a, is it, was it a nagging sensation which you almost had to work hard to ignore or squash or something? Was it there all the time? Did it appear and reappear? How, how, does, how, did, how did it manifest itself? I'm just thinking of someone who's, who's dealing with someone or got, you know, listening to a child or even a family member talking about it. You know, what, what are the things to look out for, really? I mean, certainly saying something. But when did you start pushing it away? I think it was just incredibly private 
from like forever because of teasing at school about um you know gay or as it was then very unkindly called you know people kids would call each other homo in the playground Mm. as a term of abuse so anything that wasn't you know male masculine whatever would get teased picked on etc so you know if you've gone around at school saying oh you know what i want to go i want to be a girl or i you know i am a girl or i want to be a girl that just would have been endless so that's just something that i kept incredibly private Mm. so if your kids do come and say something to you 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 really should take it seriously absolutely i mean i've had one youngster friend of my friend of uh, one of my daughters say that she thought she was trans and i was like oh that's interesting what makes you think that and she would explain to me and I'd be like, okay i mean i wasn't trying to obviously i try really hard not to you know convince her one way or the other but yeah. just to get get appropriate support and to find people to talk to and let it work let it work itself out um either she would find out she was or she wasn't or but it's quite a it's quite a difficult time i think growing up is is hard anyway mm. for a lot of children and having that as an added pressure just makes it harder yeah and and so and so post puberty you lived your life in in the sort of male shape and form how did that how did that work out i mean i mean a lot of people confuse transness and sexuality uh sexual orientation but but people need need to understand that those two things are separate don't they oh yes very much so um in for my own uh, in my own case i'm very tra- i'm attracted to women and uh, that's been the same um throughout my whole life and that's not changing as i transition um but I think um, one of the things to watch out for, and I think this kind of goes goes to the taboo about mental health, is that even to our own children, we don't like to um, show the, that we might have any issues with low mood or depression or anxiety or, or anything. We just put on a good good front and it encourages our children to do the same. So I'm sure there are families where it's different, but there does seem to be a bit of a taboo about this subject. And it's only thanks to recent campaigns by you know prince harry and the lloyd's advert and and things like that which are really bringing it into the forefront of how important it is to talk about these things and allow everyone a chance to vent their feelings Mm. um and having this unexpressed um these unexpressed feelings and inside can lead to uh, mental issues for mental health issues for young people and if they get get the chance to talk to their the grown-ups in their life about it and they are understanding and supportive and allow them to enter the inquiry openly, then I think it could it, it would it would mitigate all of the sort of self harm issues that can come up, like this shown in that um, recent uh, ITV drama, um, uh, and also the potential for suicide, and and give children the support that they need and deserve. Mm. So yeah, from my from my side in later life, I had a lot of um, trouble with low mood. I used to drink quite a lot to try and escape some sort of feelings of I don't know what. It was always a bit nebulous. Um, people used to think I was gay, but I knew I wasn't. And it was all a bit of a sort of mystery. And I didn't really, I could sense that other people weren't the same, but I couldn't figure out why or yeah. what was different about me. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, it really, the penny has really dropped. One of my oldest and best friends, when I told her, 
she said, oh, she said, remember how we always used to think that maybe you were gay? And that makes complete sense. Mm. So, yeah. Interesting, isn't it? So it's always there and people pick it up, but they pick up using the terminology of the time because obviously 20 years ago, this was less less common or less in the public eye. So the, the sort of sexual orientation thing was probably an easier way to start addressing the issue. And by all stretch of imagination, you lived a successful life as a male, didn't you? I mean, you've held down, you've got a, you know, a, a, an impressive employment track record and you've got families and such like. So what's the, what's the itch like? What's, what's this drive? I mean, how do you choose to give up this what seems to comfort a comfortable life what you know how how can you how can you help us understand this sort of an innermost innermost drive to to be who you really are but what seems to be at odds with everything that's gone before it is strange isn't it because i mean like say there are so many drivers to keep status quo and everything that seems to be working Mm. but um the inner knowledge suddenly that ah that that is who i am is such a powerful thing and it's such um i just feel so content suddenly like in a way that i never did before i'm completely content with who i am and at peace with who i am regardless of the fact that you know chaos is unfolding in my life (laughs) effectively um you know marriage breaking down and moving house and changing jobs and all sorts of things that go on at the same time but Inside myself, I was the happiest I'd ever been. Right. So right. That, that, that's, that's the driver. And I'm guessing also we talk in resilience terms about having a strong sense of purpose, knowing that, I guess, once you've recognized this, maybe admitted it to yourself, I guess you can, you can start to have the resources to tackle a journey ahead because you, you actually found yourself in a way and therefore your sense of purpose reconnects with who you are. Exactly. Exactly so. And it's only when you hit like brick walls, like the NHS, that things don't go according to, but according to plan. But, but otherwise, like you say, there's this, this inner drive to work things out and to find a way. Mm. And so, and so talking about a work context, because um, for a moment, how, how does that work? If you're, I mean, who do you talk to? I mean, how does that conversation begin to happen at work? Because, I mean, my understanding is a lot of people will will do what they call part trans, so they'll be trans in their private life, but at work they cannot transition. And, um, I mean, you must have had a good a good employer, but also you must have an enormous amount of courage to, to sort of tackle that thing. So what was your process? How, how did you make that work? Um, well, I did have a very good employer who was really understanding and supportive. Um, I suspect like most employers, they didn't have any previous um, cases of people like myself. So they didn't have a roadmap of how to do it. So we, but we were both kind of making it up as we went along <laughs> and yeah. there were a few bumps along the way, but we managed to iron them out. Um, the process for me started with, I think going to my line manager and talking to him and also talking to HR mm. and um, finding them surprisingly, but really um, understanding and, asking me like well which toilets would you like to use and that they saying they would be driven by that rather than telling me what I could do um, because I didn't understand at that point that I, I have rights about that sort of thing in the Equalities Act um, and 
so I'm you know, glad to see that they were um, actually following those. Uh, my manager was uh, very understanding and I told a few close colleagues um, with um, varying responses. I tend to find the younger, the younger they are, the better because they've had more exposure to it right. um, than the older generations. Um, so, but no, but nobody was outrightly, outright hostile at all. So some people were just more surprised and others were more um, excited for me. Right. So, and, and, and then, and so, okay. sorry, just to loop, so just to leap in for a moment, if you're a, yeah. if you're a, if you're a line manager or an HR person, someone comes to talk to you, what's the, what's the single best thing you can do to help that person? First thing is you can congratulate them. You can wish them congratulations because they're going to be delighted in, internally that they have um, found their inner peace and freedom, yeah. and they will probably they will probably be terrified that you're going to be anti, uh, or, and or that you're going to say, well, you can't do that here, mm-hmm. and that they'll have a big um, big push uh, uphill to come out. So it's already it's already probably taken them a good deal of courage to face you and to say what they've said. Yeah. So. Um, if you can congratulate them and acknowledge them for their courage in coming out and that, say that you're on their side and you'll support them through it, whatever that's going to look like, um, and that you'll work with them to make a roadmap for that transition, if that's what they plan to do, then that would be incredibly supportive. It right. really would. Yeah. Um, I think other things in general, I mean, there is, most companies don't have any sort of um, information or training about what trans is or, and what it isn't. Um, that would be helpful if they could find a useful resource so that people who are interested could at least, you know, they might, they might meet someone who's trans at the workplace and go, oh, what the heck is that about? And then look on the intranet or something and, and try yeah. to find some resources. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what about colleagues? What, what, how do you want your colleagues to be around you? And I know that's a weird uh, question, but I've, I've never thought about it that way around. You know, how, how, how is, if you were a colleague of mine, how would I, how would I best support you again? Oh, it, it, it's really hard to say. I suppose it's quite unique. Um, there's just, just treat me how you would anybody else. Uh, I would say that's the best. Yeah. I think some of the best, the best, um, conversations I've had with people haven't even talked about it at all. It's just, well, how's life, you know, and what's up and what you're into and, um, just the sort of things you would talk to anyone else about, but I'm equally, um, happy to talk about it in the right context, uh, over a coffee and, especially with people that have known me uh, before I transitioned, because I do appreciate it takes something to go from one to the other Mm. and also to relax about it. I mean, I know obviously I like to be called by my feminine name and referred to as she and her, but people who've known me previously do slip and I even slip sometimes. (laughs) So, you know, it's just, it's one of those things you don't out train your habits in a, in a flash. Um, so just have to all be a bit tolerant and easygoing, I think. And that's one of the things I think a lot of people find a bit daunting because there's a sort of a, I was going to say the word militant wing and I don't mean that, but there, is, there are people who are quite, there are less tolerant in the trans world who take greater offence at misgendering, even by accident. And I think, I think people have to realise yeah. it takes time, isn't it, to accept each other. It does. And, and I think a lot of the time it's not about acceptance. It's simply habit of the mind that you... Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if somebody you've been calling Ben all these years suddenly says, look, I want you to call me John. You're in the heat of the moment when you're thinking about the project and everything else and all the other people, you might accidentally refer to them as Ben, not out of any malice, just out of the fact that you're distracted. And really nothing is meant. So I think if somebody misgendered me and, or 
called me by my old name for deliberately in order to offend me, I, that would be outrageous. But mm. that, that's no one. I, I mean, I can't imagine anyone at my current work doing that mm. um, intentionally. It's just that they're, they're just not that those that kind of people. So, um, yeah, I think if somebody makes an honest mistake, why would you come down on them like a ton of bricks? Mm. It's just just one of those things, isn't it? It's not always easy to take. Um, it's not that it doesn't necessarily cause a reaction for me, but I think that's something I have to process internally and not take out on them or maybe have a quiet word later if it's appropriate. But, yeah. um, you know, just as a friendly thing over a coffee. But often they wouldn't even have noticed. You know, they, they just it just comes out. Excellent. And, and I mean, you, you've talked about the challenges. You've talked about the, the impact of your family and your children and this treatment curve and you know, the, the fear and the anxiety and the pressure and, and the calmness and peace and happiness. But, I mean, where are you getting all this energy from? Where are you, where are you getting this tr- tremendous resilience from? Where's the wellspring? Um, that's a good question. I think it's something like the, the, the knowledge that I am, just being who I am uh, and not having that burden of having to... It's not like pretend to be someone else, but there's always there was a kind of gratingness that became apparent when I started to transition mm-hmm. that I hadn't noticed before. And I think that's probably what people call the dysphoria, you know, the feeling of uncomfortableness that you're not who you really are. And then when you can drop that, then suddenly there's like this whole realm of happiness and uh, well-being from a deep inner place that just yeah well it's just I, I expect most people just have that a lot of people have that anyway naturally from their lives and wouldn't know what it what wouldn't know what it would be like to be missing that yeah that's so. it's an interest i mean people do bang on about this idea of authenticity but actually that's what you're really that's what you're actually describing isn't it a proper proper theory of authenticity because a lot of people spend a lot of time lying to themselves or hiding their true self away but in a sense what you're you're talking about is the true benefit of being the real, the real you. Yes. And I suppose it, it's not the, like, it doesn't solve all your problem, all your problems in life because it it's only like one it's realm of authenticity, but uh, yeah, exactly. But it's a fun, very, it's so fundamental that without it, you can't really, I don't think you can get very far. Yes. And so, how, and how long, how long does this, how long, how long does this journey take you, Don? I mean, how much further do you have to go? I'm still got a long way ahead of me. I'm, like I say, I'm still waiting for treatment on the NHS, so um, be quite a long time until surgery, a number of years now until surgery. I'd also like to get some voice training, so I still sound very masculine um, on the phone and on podcasts, I'm sure, uh, which is quite confusing for people on the phone when I'm calling up for the first time. <laughs> I have to Generally, I have to explain that I'm trans and they can finally understand how to spell the name Donna, um, <laughs> which is <Yeah>. interesting. <laughs> F-R-E-D. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think I'm Don or Donald or um, something else. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's a there's sort of there's quite a long way to go um, in the journey, but I, I I've made a good start, and you know, so I'm quite happy where I am on on the track. And would you and would you encourage people like yourselves and people who are not trans to reach out, help each other, just support each other, treat, treat you as anybody else in a, in a way? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think it, like, like you're implying it's kind of part of a wider spectrum of things which are not necessarily on most people's radar. You know, mental health, we've had a mental health week at work. Um, 
Mental Health Awareness Week where people are encouraged to speak out. Um, you know, if it's one in four people who have had mental health issues, there's an awful lot of people who are sitting there and suffering in silence that nobody knows about. And why wouldn't you want to support your colleagues if they're having a hard time? If they were ill in some physical way in their body, you would, of course, support them. And if they're ill in some way in their mind, why not? And why does it have to be so embarrassing? And same about gender issues, same about sexuality. Um, we should, if, we don't, if we're not supporting the diversity in our workplace, then we're, losing, we're all losing out. And that's, that is the truth for all of us, whether you're part of more mainstream groups in your life or whether you're part of minorities, it's the same. And there's a, a massive degree of discrimination against trans people to get them into the back into the workplace, which is why it's, I was so pleased to meet you because you were sort of a, a beacon of hope, really, for a lot of trans people who don't think they can get work, um, either because they've changed their name and they've lost their employment record, the whole of their uh, actual physical identity changes and vanishes. But also there seems to be a massive degree of uh, discrimination out there. And, and often people with superb talent but just being discriminated against because they they've changed gender and it, it just seems inherently unfair doesn't it and if you want a diverse population you surely surely yours as a community to to welcome with open arms i i would say so I, it was one of the fears that i had when i was transitioning was well um what what will i do i'm a contractor and uh, an it contractor so i go from uh, role to role and what about my previous record? And what if they what if they discriminate just discriminate against me because of you know that I'm trans and they just don't feel comfortable with it for whatever reason? And um, they wouldn't even necessarily have to give a reason. They could just say, oh well, we had a better qualified candidate. Um, so I did. I took a permanent role for a while um, that came up and uh, that, that worked well for a bit. Um, but what I what I made sure about on. On my CV, I left. I, I put my new name, but I also put my former name on, so that if they called for a reference from a previous employer, they would know who to ask for. Yes. Um, otherwise, like you say, you kind of lose your previous employment record, and I think then things would be difficult because, in, certainly in the contracting world, you're only as good as your last reference, and they don't tend to call back more than one or two references, if that. Yeah. So that is very important but i think my experience so far has been that people actually in certainly in my world they don't care about me transitioning they yeah. absolutely couldn't care if i can write the software that they want if i can deliver the result they want they'll employ me if i can't they won't it's as simple as that and um that that's quite a relief i i expect there may be some people out there who might discriminate but i from what i've found so far people aren't discriminating and that's quite a relief yeah and if you had one piece of advice for any aspirant trans person out there or someone was is wrestling with this problem, what, what, what would that one piece of advice be? Get support. Find someone to talk to. Call a helpline. Um, there's a great one in the southwest um, in, called Intercom, which has a 24-hour helpline. Um, they are wonderful to talk to. I'm sure there are others around the country. There is... Um, lgbt.info i believe it is or switchboard uh, which is also i think don't think it's 24 hours but again it's a call center where you can call in and speak to someone who'll be understanding so don't suffer in silence don't stay on your own find a local group find local people get get on the phone and talk to somebody um, who will understand where you're at and can also um, point you in the right direction if that's what you want or just be a listening ear if that's what you need Don, I can personally say that you're an absolute inspiration and it's been a joy to talk to you today. I think it's, I think the more 
all of us can do to help awareness of trans issues are both for the community themselves and for people around it is is is, is key and i think you're setting a, a fantastic example thank you so much for spending time with us today i'll put some links on our own website qedod.com and we'll put a page up perhaps forward slash trans and uh, we'll um, put some links on our own site to some of those places you suggested uh, thank you so much for your time today thank you russell you take care thank you you too we hope you found today's podcast useful. If you did, why not subscribe and listen to our other podcasts? We would love it if you could leave us a review. To access our resilience coaching, contact us at info at qedod.com. And finally, if you'd like to download our free resilience ebook, go to qedod.com slash free ebook. Thanks for listening.